Having someone in my family who is a breast cancer survivor, in this case my sister-in-law, really does allow me to read any article on breast cancer or its survivorship with, with new understanding and a new sort of empathy. I'm thankful that she seems to have beaten this thing with a diagnosis now beyond 15 years being cancer-free. With improvements in the screening and treatment of breast cancer, the number of female survivors continues to increase, and that's a win for medicine. There's now a reported five-year survival rate up to 90%. That's 90%. That's fantastic. But a lot of the treatments for breast cancer, including endocrine therapy or chemo or radiotherapy, lead to a new or a worsened hypoestrogenemic state. More than 70% of postmenopausal women who survive breast cancer and are treated with systemic therapies subsequently experience genitourinary symptom of menopause, or GSM, that's genitourinary syndrome of menopause. And yes, there's a lot of other non-hormonal agents that can be used vaginally to try to relieve some of the discomfort. The truth is, one of the most effective options for vulval vaginal atrophy is vaginal estrogen therapy. So here's a good board review question for you. So you have a patient who's a breast cancer survivor and has now beat it, say, more than five years. And she complains of life-altering vaginal dryness. This isn't just a discomfort for her, but it's also affecting her sexual intimacy with her partner. So what would you do? Would you offer her vaginal estrogen therapy? And before you say, well, I'd offer her non-hormonal options first, which is the correct thing to do, here's how it gets complicated. She's tried those and they just don't work for her. And she's begging for vaginal estrogen. Isn't that contraindicated? I mean, you wouldn't give a patient who's a breast cancer survivor vaginal estrogen, would you? Oh, that's exactly how the oral boards go. <laughs> and in this episode, we're going to go ahead and walk down the quick timeline for the last three years. Because in these last three years, there's been a whirlwind of new data surrounding the efficacy and safety of vaginal estrogen in breast cancer survivors. So we're going to start first in 2021, go up to 2022, and of course end with our current year, 2023. We're going to start with the college because the American College of OBGYN in 2021 gave their own interpretation of the data and gave a recommendation. We're going to talk about the NAMS position statement in 2022, and then we're going to wrap it up with a brand new publication from August the 3rd that just came out in Obstetrics and Gynecology, the Green Journal. So from 2021 to 2023, there is good news, good news, more good news with a caveat. And I'm going to explain why that caveat is super, super important. And this also makes the case why you need to read the complete article and not just the abstract of an article. And I'm going to explain that in a minute. Because if you just read the abstract of this 2023 publication, remember abstracts are like the movie trailers. How many times have you gone to a movie trailer and you're like, oh, this movie looks fantastic. And then you go to see the actual movie and meh. So this is why it's so important to read the entire article article, all right? Because this new publication from 2023, the abstract sounds great, and it is great, but there's a big caveat that you would not get 
unless you read the text. And it's a very, very important part of patient counseling as it regards to vaginal estrogen therapy after breast cancer. All right, everyone, let's talk about vaginal E2 after breast CA, na or yay. Medicine moves real fast. We're here to help us all keep up the pace. This is Clinical Pearls. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In December 2021, ACOG released Clinical Consensus Number 2, which is treatment of urogenital symptoms in individuals with a history of estrogen-dependent breast cancer. Now, honestly, you would think, well, okay, fine, I get that. That's December 2021. The topic is exactly what we're talking about here. So why don't we just cover this and be done with it? Well, that's fine. Obviously, this consensus opinion, this clinical consensus number two is very good and it's very thorough. But one thing that it asks for is larger population-based studies to ensure the safety of vaginal estrogen in women with a history of breast cancer. So I'm going to tell you, first of all, what this clinical consensus uh, statement does say when you can kind of guess what it says. I mean, it kind of says yes in the appropriate context. Yes, it's absolutely fine. I'm going to give you that data in a minute. But it says, man, it still would be great if we had larger population data. Well, fast forward to August 2023, and that data is here. Now, to be very clear, this new publication from the Green Journal on August the 3rd, 2023 is not the first because the Dutch actually beat these authors to it because last year in 2022, uh, Dutch authors did a, a, a study almost exactly like what this new August 3rd, 2023 publication is, except the one from August the 3rd is U.S. population, uh, while the one from uh, the Dutch authors is not. However, it's interesting that they found almost identical findings, which means that there must be something truly there, right? If you can reproduce findings uh, in different patient populations with a similar model, then then the findings pretty much seem legit. So that's why we're just not going to review clinical consensus number two from December 21 from the college. But we do need to review that because that's kind of a, a good foundation before we get into the statement from NAMS, which is the North America Menopause Society. This topic of the use of vaginal estrogen after breast cancer diagnosis really isn't just about sex, okay? Yes, sexual intimacy is a huge part of life and vaginal dryness can interfere with that type of, of physical intimacy, but it's just the discomfort that, that affects the daily activities, having vaginal dryness. Uh, and we now know, of course, through a variety of data that vaginal atrophy, especially postmenopausal vaginal atrophy, is is a contributor to recurrent UTIs. 
and recurrent UTIs has its own set of morbidity. And we know, of course, that although there's a bunch of different treatments and causes of recurrent UTIs, having vaginal uh, estrogen deficiency is definitely one of the risk factors for having recurrent episodes of urinary tract infections. Um, On the side note, there was a wonderful literature review that came out in 2021 that proved that vaginal estrogen for um, genital urinary syndrome of menopause absolutely has a role in in the reduction of recurrent UTI. So don't think, oh, it's just about sex and a little bit of vaginal dryness. No, this brings other morbidity friends like recurrent UTIs. This literature review, if you're interested, it'd be a great journal club that takes a look at all of the data on recurrent UTIs in women with the genital urinary syndrome of menopause and how vaginal estrogen can help. That came out of the journal Urology May of 2021, right? The lead author was Emery Buck, and the title is Effective Prevention of Recurrent UTIs with Vaginal Estrogen. Pearls for a Urological Approach to Genital Urinary Syndrome of Menopause. After the authors did a critical review of the data, they concluded in this 2021 publication, quote, Overall, multiple randomized clinical trials have successfully been completed that show the efficacy of local estrogen preparations for the treatment of recurrent UTIs. Quote, this high-yield review provides a framework for assessing genital urinary syndrome of menopause, prescribing recommendations for local vaginal hormone preparations, and a summary of the substantial evidence supporting the new 2019 American Urological Association, the Canadian Urological Association, and the Society of Urodynamics and the Female Pelvic Medicine and Urogenital Reconstructive Guidance for Local Vaginal Estrogen Use for recurrent UTI, end quote. All to say, yep, the data and multiple professional societies, including the AUA, Canada's Urological Association, the Female Pelvic Medicine Association, and the Urogenital Reconstructive uh, Group, all say that a great way to prevent recurrent UTIs in those suffering with GSM is local vaginal therapy. Yes, the topic of our episode is not recurrent UTIs, but it does make the point that genital urinary syndrome of menopause, GSM, isn't just about you know the occasional vaginal dryness and the intimacy issue, but again, it really does have these other morbid conditions. And that's whether or not the patient had a history of breast cancer. That's just part of vaginal dryness. So I want us to get that in, in, our, in our mindset and our perspective, that GSM isn't just about feeling a little bit dry. It really is a quality of life issue. And if you consider that women will stay in menopause for now a substantial part of their life, uh, then this is really something that, that needs to be addressed. But for most women, that's not an issue. But if they do have a past history of breast cancer and the first line options do not help, which is non-hormonal agents, then we just can't leave them that way. Historically, of course, the big fear was, man, you can't give these women any estrogen at all. Systemic estrogen is a no-brainer. That's a no, because that does have direct uh, communication and direct uh, level changes uh, systemically uh, and direct effects on the breast. But vaginal estrogen has been totally different, and we now know that those systemic levels, while they do rise, and be very clear, based on the dose of vaginal estrogen that's used and their frequency, you do have a little bit of bump uh, in serum uh, estradiol levels. However, 
they still remain in the vast majority of cases, here's the clinical pearl, in the postmenopausal range. In other words, well, you go from zero to like five. I mean, so yeah, it's up, but it doesn't mean anything clinically. All right. We're going to get into that data in a minute. Uh, but that's been the traditional fear is you can't give women any kind of estrogen if they've had a history of breast cancer because it's going to cause recurrence. But in these last three years, really, as I mentioned, from 21, 22, and then this year in 23, we now know that that's likely not the case, except for one special caveat. And I'm going to get into that one caveat that's very, very important to understand in just a moment. All right, now that we've made that point that GSM is a real deal and it is problematic, let's just quickly remind ourselves and summarize how tamoxifen and aromatase inhibitors work because that's going to be a pivotal point that we make when we review the 2023 publication, all right? So remember, of course, that these are two uh, medical agents considered endocrine therapy that are adjuvant uh, for the treatment of breast cancer. Following local management for early-stage cancers, most premenopausal women are treated with at least five years of tamoxifen whereas postmenopausal women are commonly treated up to 10 years with an aerobidase inhibitor. Remember that tamoxifen as a serum is both a estrogen agonist at some levels and an antagonist at other levels. It blocks estrogen on the breast at the receptor level. Tamoxifen does have agonist-like effects on the bone as well as vaginal tissue. Aromatase inhibitors, or AIs on the other hand, block peripheral estrogen biosynthesis from androstenedione and testosterone. So it doesn't matter whether it's tamoxifen or AIs, both forms of these therapies, these endocrine agents, both of them are associated with GSM development because of relative low estrogen levels that results from taking them, all right? Now, although symptoms related to tamoxifen may be more pronounced owing to patient age, estrogen levels for those on AIs are lower than levels typically associated with menopause because, remember, you're hitting off any peripheral conversion, so you get nothing. That's why these patients do end up feeling a lot of vaginal discomfort and having the manifestation of GSM. In clinical consensus number two, ACOG does recommend that the first-line agents really are something that are non-hormonal, like vaginal lubricants or vaginal moisturizers. And there is some data, it's not great data, but there is data that vaginal suppositories of like vitamin E and vitamin D can actually help relieve some of the symptoms of genitourinary syndrome, okay? Um, but the issue, of course, is that these don't work for everyone, and there's nothing like local vaginal estrogen therapy because, after all, what is the vagina missing? What's the vulva lacking? What's it, what's it manifesting a, a deficiency of? Well, it's estrogen. So you can try to mask it by adding other things like lubricants or moisturizers, and that's totally fine. And for some, it, it works well enough. But for others, it's not really getting to the heart of the problem, which is vaginal estrogen. That's what that local tissue is really seeking and desiring. Here's a good place for us to remind ourselves that it's not just these two camps of possible options for these women, okay? It's not just the lubricants and moisturizers on the left-hand side and then vaginal estrogen on the right-hand side, and there's nothing else. Thankfully, now there's a lot of uh, more options out there that can provide some relief. 
For example, there is vaginal dehydroepiandrosterone or vaginal DHEA. Now, this is actually something that we did an episode on a long time ago when this was first FDA approved. And this actually works very well and is very, very safe. I'm not going to get into that a lot in this episode because our focus here is on vaginal estrogen. But remember that there is a DHEA insert at 6.5 milligrams a day that is FDA approved for this very, very condition. So that is prasterone, all right? So prasterone is a vaginal DHEA insert that's indicated for the treatment of moderate to severe dyspareunia due to menopause. Now, I have to be very clear here. This is not FDA approved for use in women with breast cancer. Actually, it's in the manufacturer's uh, labeling that says that any exogenous estrogen is contraindicated in women with a known or suspected history of breast cancer and that prasterone had not been studied in that population. So first of all, if you're thinking, well, how does DHEA uh, as an androgen, how is that supposed to even help? I mean, we're talking about vaginal estrogen. Well, of course, that's because it's converted uh, to an estrogen through aromatization, okay? And so this was also feared to, well, you can't use that in breast cancer patients because that's, uh, you know, you can get estrogen levels that are going to be off and it's a risk factor. But even though it wasn't FDA approved for that, the data that has come after its uh, its approval has is actually very reassuring because estrogen levels in women who are taking AI were actually found to not be any higher with use of this product, okay? They still remain in the very, very low postmenopausal range. All to say that it's not just vaginal uh, non-hormonal agents or estrogen. There are other options, including this one, uh, which is prasterone. And then remember, of course, that there is an oral medication that is also an option for women with GSM, and that's osfemafeme. Remember that osfemafine is a selective estrogen receptor modulator, and it is FDA approved for the treatment of postmenopausal vulvovaginal atrophy. Now, the question is, well, what about in women with breast cancer? Well, it's all where, it depends on where you live, because in Europe, that medication, osfemafine, which is oral, is approved for use among women with a history of breast cancer who have completed all of their therapy, Okay. But in the U.S., the, the original FDA label actually warns against its use in women with breast cancer. So there's a little controversy. Nonetheless, ACOG does say in its clinical consensus, quote, published data since osfemafeme's FDA approval have not demonstrated an increased risk of recurrence with use of this medication. ACOG goes on to say, quote, although osfemafeme has an estrogen agonist effect on vaginal tissues as well as bone, available data indicate that it acts as an antagonist in breast tissue. Clinicians should discuss the label warning with patients and use clinical judgment to assess their appropriateness for its use, end quote. Well, that was super interesting. We talked about two things that were not the focus of this episode. We talked about uh, prasterone and osfemafine. That's good to know. We have to say that because if you're listening to the episode, you're like, well, man, there's other things. It's not just all about vaginal lubrication or moisturizers or estrogen. And you're right. So we did have to say that just to be complete. But let's just kind of get to the heart of what we're talking about because we've got other fish to fry, okay? So ACOG, after going through all the data, makes this concluding statement, quote, 
If non-hormonal treatments have failed to adequately address symptoms, after discussion of risks and benefits, low-dose vaginal estrogen can be used in individuals with a history of breast cancer, including those taking tamoxifen. So be very clear, it says even if they are on concurrent tamoxifen or have used it in the past, vaginal low-dose estrogen seems to be just fine. And the reason is, even though systemic levels of estrogen can rise, they rise to a non-significant level. In other words, they're still in the postmenopausal range. But here's the question, and, and here's a clarifying point regarding aromatase inhibitors. Remember, those on aromatase inhibitors don't see any estrogen at all, right? Because they're already estrogen poor, and then boom, and then they block peripheral conversion of androstenedione and androgens, so they have nothing. And so the fear is any estrogen that potentially enters the system uh, could be fueled to the fire. So ACOG states this with a clarifying point about AI use. Quote, for individuals taking aromatase inhibitors, low-dose vaginal estrogens can be used after, here's our famous words that we've said on many times in this episode, uh, in this podcast, after shared decision-making between the patient, gynecologist, and the oncologist. End quote. So AIs are a big deal. And as we get to 2022 and we cover the study in 2023, you're going to see how big of a deal AI use is, especially concomitant use. All right. So let's just reframe and reset our direction here because we've said a lot of stuff already. We haven't even gotten to the heart of what we're trying to talk about. Uh, The question is, is using vaginal estrogen safe for patients with breast cancer? Let me just spoil it very quickly and leave the caveat to the end. It seems so. Yeah. I mean, if the patient wants to and she has informed uh, of her risks and benefits and she's failed uh, other first-line agents that are non-hormonal, it seems to be okay with a catch that they are low dose in the shortest uh, time possible. Uh, And even if the patient is on tamoxifen, it seems to be safe and does not increase the risk of recurrence. Nice. Fine. But there's one caveat. If the patient is on aromatase inhibitors, that may not apply equally. Okay, so that statement that we just said, no increase in recurrence, does not hold true for those taking aromatase inhibitors at the same time of using local vaginal estrogen. I'm explaining that in a minute. And ACOG kind of hints to this in a little bit, okay? So ACOG talks about this in 2021. Quote, unlike tamoxifen, AIs do not block the effects of exogenous estrogen on breast tissue. With the concomitant use of both estrogens and an aromatase inhibitor, there's a potential for increased serum estrogen levels to stimulate estrogen receptors in breast tissue. End quote. We've already said that, right? But now here's where things get, get tricky, okay? Because didn't we just say that vaginal estrogen does increase uh, the dose, the, the level systemically, but still in postmenopausal range. So why would it matter? Well, it matters because remember, these patients have had zero estrogen exposure. So even a little bump still in the postmenopausal range may be an issue. ACOG states, quote, when serum estradiol levels were evaluated in 10 studies, most demonstrated either only a temporary transient increase resolving within 12 weeks or no increase at all in serum estrogen levels. Okay, now hang on to that because as ACOG ends its consensus opinion, here's what it states, quote, 
Available evidence suggests that low-dose vaginal estrogen is safe in individuals with a history of hormone receptor-positive breast cancer who are at low risk of recurrence. However, given the low incidence of recurrence as well as the extended length of follow-up needed to detect recurrence in this population, here it is, large prospective longitudinal studies of breast cancer survivors are needed to definitely address this question of whether these treatments are associated with any increased risk of recurrence, end quote. Now, this is where the new study in 2023 comes in. Now, no, it's not a large prospective longitudinal study, but it is a large observational study based on on, uh, population data uh, and medical records, all right? So it's a data bank search. And it's one of the largest done to date because it tracks women up to five years after the diagnosis of GSM. So we're going to get to that in a minute. So now what ACOG was asking for in a way back in 2021 has now come forward in 2023, although it's not a prospective longitudinal study because those are very hard to do. But nonetheless, we do have an answer that ACOG was saying we need. We need more data. We need population levels. We need a huge data set. And we have that now. So let me just spoil it very quickly. Can vaginal estrogen be used safely in women with a history of breast cancer? The answer seems to be yes, as long as they're not currently undergoing active care, active management, okay? The acute phase of treatment has to have been done. However, there is a caveat, and it has to do with concomitant use of an aromatase inhibitor. And that's something that's not very clear if you just read the abstract from this August 2023 publication. I'm explaining that in a minute, okay? Again, that's why you have to read the entire publication because this is where you dig out those those issues. That's why we do the MOC, right? The MOC, the maintenance of certification for board certification, it asks you these little tiny little points because it makes you go into the paper uh, and understand the concept, right? So I'm all for that. I think that's a valuable thing to do. But we'll get to that in just a minute. All right, everyone, when we come back, let's talk about the NAMS position statement from 2022. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. NAM's position statement came out in the journal Menopause in 2022. And the title of this position statement was the 2022 Hormone Therapy Position Statement of the North American Menopause Society. I mean, doesn't leave anything there for the imagination, right? It's great. And also in 2023, by the way, they go in and, and do their position statement on non-hormonal adjuvants. But of course, we're talking about estrogen and in vaginal use in patients with breast cancer. And of course, they've had a section uh, regarding that as well from 2022. 
Oh, I'm sorry. If you don't know what NAMS is, you really should. I mean, it's the North American Menopause Society. They are an authority uh, figure. They are an authoritative organization regarding all things menopause. They're great. Um, and this uh, position statement from 2022 is super, super in-depth, super helpful, covers a lot of data. But we're talking about it's uh, something very specific here, which is vaginal estrogen in women with breast cancer. NAMS states, quote, Low-dose vaginal estrogen therapy remains an effective treatment option for GSM in survivors of breast cancer with minimal systemic absorption. They go on to say, treatment with low-dose vaginal estrogen therapy, or DHEA, can be considered if symptoms persist after an initial trial of non-hormonal therapies and in consultation with an oncologist. Now, hold on for just a minute. When this first came out, I remember reading medical commentaries that said, oh, low-dose vaginal estrogen, okay for women with a history of breast cancer. And that was it. Because they took that first part and ran with it. And that's fine. That's absolutely correct. But they left off a very, very crucial part of the puzzle. And this is also reflected in the 2023 article that we're going to talk about next. Because the same thing was found there as well. Because yes, overall, as a group, um, estrogen low-dose therapy in women who are breast cancer survivors seems to be fine. But here's the caveat. NAMS does say, quote, there is more room for concern for women on aromatase inhibitors, end quote. In other words, it's not those who took aromatase inhibitors in the past, but it is a concomitant use. So that's the big clinical pearl here, guys. So when somebody asks, can a woman who's had breast cancer take vaginal estrogen? The answer is, hey, as long as she's finished with her acute therapy and she is not concomitantly going to be taking an aromatase inhibitor, then yes. And why that's the case with an AI is because they do have, in two large studies, a Danish study from 2022 and then this new U.S. study from 2023, women who are on concomitant use of vaginal estrogen and an aromatase inhibitor did have a higher risk of recurrence. So that is the one caveat. Can women use vaginal estrogen who are breast cancer survivors? Yes, as long as they are not using concomitantly aromatase inhibitors. All right, everyone, before we get to the August 2023 publication from the Green Journal, we have to talk about one from last year in 2022 that came out of the Journal of the National Cancer Institute. Now, this was a Danish study, but they did something that was extremely similar to this U.S.-based population that was published uh, August 2023, okay? So last year in 2022, the title of this publication was Systemic or Vaginal Hormone Therapy After Early Breast Cancer. This was a Danish observational cohort study. I want to point out two things that are uh, big notes here regarding this publication. It wasn't just vaginal therapy, but it also included menopausal hormone therapy, systemic therapy. Now, remember we said most professional organizations say that's pretty much a no-go, just stay away from systemic therapy. But these uh, Dutch researchers um, actually followed patients who had it prescribed, which is pretty amazing in itself because most people would not give breast cancer survivors uh, menopausal hormone therapy systemically. 
But nonetheless, um, I, I don't want to dive too much into this publication because I want to focus on the August 2023 one. But according to this 2022 Dutch publication, quote, in postmenopausal women treated for early stage estrogen receptor positive breast cancer, neither vaginal treatment nor systemic menopausal hormone therapy was associated with increased risk of recurrence or mortality, end quote. So how about that? So again, we definitely need more data and I'm definitely not advocating systemic hormone therapy in patients that have uh, breast cancer, but NAMS actually says something very similar in, in, in their publication. NAMS says, hey, don't forget, systemic hormone therapy is generally not used, don't do it with breast cancer survivors. But they also go on to say, but if they're well-informed, they're at low risk of recurrence and hot flashes are driving them crazy, then for the shortest amount of time and at the lowest dose, it, it, it is a consideration. So you see how this tide of, of information and, and the perspective surrounding hormone therapy uh, in breast cancer survivors really is changing. What's our tagline for our episode, for our podcast? Remember, it's medicine moves fast. So maybe there will be a time when we know that, hey, systemic hormone therapy, that's also legit as well if the patient is at low risk for recurrence. But here's how this ties in to our now August 2023 publication from the Green Journal. In that Dutch publication, they also go on to explain, quote, a subgroup analysis revealed an increased risk of recurrence, but not mortality in patients receiving vaginal estrogen therapy with adjuvant aromatase inhibitors, end quote. Wow. So we've already laid the stage uh, beforehand that concomitant use of vaginal estrogen and aromatase inhibitors seems to increase the risk of recurrence, but in this Dutch cohort, not mortality. But why vaginal um, therapy would increase recurrence and not systemic therapy is unknown. Was that a quinky dink of the research? Was it just something that kind of fell out? So that was kind of left up in the air, like, well, that's interesting. Okay, I don't know what to do with that, but that's interesting. Until this now, August 2023 publication came out that found almost identical things. Now, the August 2023 publication from the Green Journal did not look at systemic menopausal hormone therapy, just vaginal, okay? But they did find the same association with concomitant use of aromatase inhibitors. Okay, now it's time to get into this current publication, which really is is the heart of our episode, okay? Because this is the most current. This did come out in the Green Journal, and this came out ahead of print, so it's not even officially out yet, but it came out ahead of print on August the 3rd, 2023, right? Now, as point of reference, we're taping this uh, on Sunday, August the 6th. So I'm telling you, we try to get things up and out to you very, very quickly. To be very clear, this is not a prospective study or an RCT. Like the Danish study, this is mining a database, okay, at a population level. It was very well done, but not, uh, you know, a prospective study that followed patients down the road. This looked at uh, diagnoses, at prescriptions, and at recurrence rates based on uh, coding, all right? I know it's not perfect, but I just want to make that very clear. There's great data that came out of here. They did a very good job to get the data out, but this was a database mining publication. The title of this publication is Safety of Vaginal Estrogen Therapy for Genitourinary Syndrome of Menopause in Women with a History of Breast Cancer. The lead author is last name Agrawal. 
Now, let's stop there for a minute because this is, as I mentioned in the intro, a prime example of why you've got to dig into and dissect and take your pen out or a highlighter and read a clinical article slowly and in depth. Because if you just read the abstract, here's what the the conclusion states. Quote, in a large claims-based analysis, we did not find an increased risk of breast cancer recurrence within five years in women with a personal history of breast cancer who were using vaginal estrogen for genital urinary syndrome of menopause, end quote. Okay, so let's talk about it. What does that mean to you? Well, it means, hey, women with a history of breast cancer, vaginal estrogen, no risk of recurrence. And that's totally legit. That is what these authors found. But then you have to actually dive into the article itself because they do go on to say in the actual narrative, in the text, and in the results section, that they did a sub-analysis on women taking tamoxifen as well as aromatase inhibitors. So because we're getting kind of lengthy here, let me just beat it to the punch, all right? There was no increase in recurrence between women uh, either given vaginal estrogen and those not given vaginal estrogen uh, and those on tamoxifen or those not on tamoxifen, okay? So in other words, no risk of recurrence. Uh, even if they use concurrent tamoxifen, it was fine. However, on subgroup analysis, for women using concomitant aromatase inhibitors and uh, vaginal estrogen, there was indeed an increased risk of recurrence. And, and this is something that, again, was hinted on or hinted to in the Dutch 2022 publication. Here's what this August 2023 study found. Quote, a sub-analysis was performed comparing women with concurrent vaginal estrogen and aromatase inhibitor prescriptions and those with vaginal estrogen alone. Among the 2,111 women in the vaginal estrogen group, 91 received aromatase inhibitor prescriptions. The risk of breast cancer recurrence was significantly higher in women receiving concurrent vaginal estrogen and an aromatase inhibitor compared with vaginal estrogen alone. The recurrence rate with dual medication use was 77% compared with just 15.6% in those with estrogen by themselves. In this sub-analysis, the median time to recurrence with an aromatase inhibitor was 140 days. That's one four zero. So if you're thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. If women who had a history of breast cancer and who were on aromatase inhibitors and then were given vaginal estrogen, if they had a higher risk of recurrence, how could the authors conclude there's no higher rate of recurrence in women who use vaginal estrogen? Well, it's very easy because you're talking about a huge bucket, all right? So think about this a study design, and then we'll get into why the explanation, why the conclusion is what it is, okay? So two big buckets. Those, and, and both buckets, by the way, had the history of breast cancer, right? So one bucket on your left has no vaginal estrogen therapy. The bucket on the right has vaginal estrogen therapy. When you take a look at the big buckets as groups by themselves, comparing those who did not have estrogen and those who did have vaginal estrogen, there's no difference in recurrence as big categories. But then when you actually pluck out those that were on uh, either tamoxifen or AIs, tamoxifen made no difference to the risk of recurrence. But those on concomitant AIs did have a higher risk of breast cancer recurrence, and it happened within the first year of use. So 
that's why you have to take a look when you take a look at the big bucket. If you just read the abstract, it says, hey, no higher risk of recurrence because the numbers kind of wash themselves out. But then if you look more granular, like and then you go, hey, wait a minute, those on AIs did have a higher risk of recurrence. That's why that value comes in, guys, you're reading the entire uh, article, the entire narrative, the entire manuscript, because the abstract, as we said in the intro, is the movie trailer. You got to read the entire movie. You got to watch uh, the entire the scenes play out to get the total uh, gist of it, not just what's being uh, laid out in the abstract. Okay. So in this August 2023 Green Journal publication that hasn't even come out yet in print, the authors concluded that as big buckets, yes, vaginal estrogen did not increase recurrence um, in women with a history of breast cancer, all right? Now, remember, these patients were not currently being treated for breast cancer. They had a history of breast cancer. Uh, and then they followed them for up to five years uh, after the prescription was first given. So it's very well done study, very well controlled. And this issue of AI use of aromatase inhibitors concomitantly is exactly what was found in the Dutch study. So if your assets on the oral boards, let's start bringing this home. Um, can women with breast cancer use vaginal estrogen therapy? Well, the short answer is if they've exhausted non-hormonal therapies and they accept the risk and benefits, absolutely, as long as they're not undergoing acute uh, phase treatment, okay? Uh, and it doesn't matter if they were estrogen receptor positive or negative. That didn't matter on recurrence either. However, if the patient is still an aromatase inhibitor, uh, that should be done very cautiously because based on too large population level, uh, level data, and these were not prospective, these weren't RCTs, these were all database, both of these were database queries, it seems that concomitant use of aromatase inhibitor and vaginal estrogen could lead to an increase in recurrence, but thankfully, not an increase in mortality, okay? So that's an important caveat. See how deep it is versus just, oh, yes, they can all get estrogen, or, oh, no, I never give it to them. Wait a minute, you got to know what the data actually says, and I hope we made that clear in this episode. All right, podcast family, vaginal E2 after breast CA, nah? Or, yeah, well, for the majority of patients, it's yeah, unless there are concomitantly on aromatase inhibitors, in which case that should be done on a very cautious basis. Now, it's interesting because as we've already laid out in this episode, it doesn't seem that estrogen levels get very high with vaginal estrogen, but it could be that in those with aromatase inhibitors, because they are so net negative in estrogen, that any increase in systemic uh, estrogen levels, even if it's still in the menopausal range, could potentially lead to an increase in recurrence. That is not the case for tamoxifen. As always, we're thankful for you, and we're glad that you're part of our podcast community. And we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.